Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. We hope you guys are doing well and having a great start to your week. On this show's episode, we're going to talk about something called toxic positivity. Now, this was a phrase I had not heard before. I was scrolling through my Facebook feed and a friend had shared an article on this. Have you heard of this before I sent it to you, Denise? I, I hadn't. I hadn't heard of it before. Oh, good. So I'm not the only one. So I don't know if it's new to us or if it's just a newer term, but I read this article and I thought, oh my gosh, I know these people. I know what this is. Toxic positivity is forcing yourself or others to feel happy even when you're not. And I think we know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that where someone's trying to cheer you up when really you don't want to be cheered up in that moment. You know, you just want someone to hold space with you. It can feel really isolating and um, lonely. And so a lot of these studies are showing that toxic positivity is really negative, not only for the recipient, but also for the person who's doling out the cheer. There are two types of toxic positivity. There's the type when someone is trying to force cheerfulness on you, like telling people, just cheer up, put on a brave face. Everything happens for a reason. And the other type, is when you put that toxic positivity on yourself, where you are forcing yourself to feel better. All of this toxic positivity is really bad for you. It's an inauthentic form of happiness that causes you to numb out, tune off, and turn off needed emotions. And it can alienate you from others because, you know, we can all sense when someone is being false. If you're doing, if you're performing toxic positivity on yourself, it results in feelings of shame and even more isolation. If you're telling yourself, you know, come on, get over this. There are people out there way worse off than you are. Just buck up. That is going to push all these righteous negative feelings of anger and sadness down where they're going to implode. And we all know that those negative feelings implode into depression. And they can result in physical health issues as well. So Denise and I just thought this was a really important topic to bring some awareness and attention to. And as empaths, this is incredibly important because if this is being forced on you and or if you're forcing it on yourself, it can really mess with your emotional state because you're feeling like, well, I just need to be strong. I need to... And I'm the poster child for this as far as buck up, Denise, get through this. You've got to stay strong and muscle through. And I think sometimes those circumstances come up in our lives, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when it doesn't, it's not about being strong. It's about trying to put a cheery face on something that really isn't. Exactly. And that, that fakeness, that inauthenticity, that's something we empaths feel strongly and it, it bothers us. It triggers us. This article that was shared with me is from Science of the People. It's written by Vanessa Van Edwards. I'll post it on our Facebook page. But Van Edwards says that toxic positivity is an invisible force causing people to become less successful, more selfish, and even more gullible. Ooh. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Most people who are this toxic positive type of person, they tend to be fair weather friends. They only enjoy being around you when things are going well. I think we've all known those friends. Like, have you guys ever gone through a really difficult time 
And when you come out the other end of it, you realize, oh, I don't have 10 friends. I have three friends. And I always find those difficult times are actually really beneficial because it does make you realize who your true friends are. I agree. And I think especially during these times where there doesn't seem to be any room for things that aren't real and true and genuine. And this toxic positivity may show up in relationships or be mirrored for you so it can shine a light on something that, and I think a good example is, you know, when people are always saying, look at the sunny side, don't worry, it's going to be great. When your life is in shambles, that's the last thing you want to hear. Oh, it's the worst. And it's so painful. You know, growing up in my family, my super fun, functional family, mm-hmm. I was the bullshit caller or the truth teller. And I have found that if you if you do come from a dysfunctional family where no one wants to talk about the eggshells you're all walking over, there's usually one person in that family who is the truth teller. Don't you agree? I agree. Yes. And I think that person is usually the empath of the family. Right. And I know growing up as a kid, it bothered me that we wouldn't talk about these things, that we didn't talk about, you know, how it felt when mom yelled at us or how it felt when dad came home and had been drinking too much. No one would talk about it. And I used to just hammer it into my family to the point where it really isolated me from my sisters because the two of them wanted to be all cheery and positive, which is great. But I needed to talk about it. I needed validation. I needed other people to say, yeah, it bothers me when dad drinks or yeah, it hurts me when mom yells. I needed that so much as a kid. And I didn't get that in my family. And it was, it was really difficult to be the only truth teller. And so I know as I've grown up and grown out of that family, I have consciously chosen friends who aren't afraid to tell the truth. Even when it's hard to hear, like I need friends who can say, you know, Sam, that new hairstyle is shit. You need to change it. Like, I I mean, I need absolute truth at all times. I think that's healthier and I respect it so much more. Okay. So what's interesting, and I I agree, I I would much rather have someone be blunt and honest and, and lick my wounds than to have, find out later that they were coming from a place of untruth. But what the conflict can be is if you have Uh, an optimistic personality, or if you're an optimistic realist, which we talked about in another show, is that not wanting to cross that line to make it all rainbows and lemon drops, but to be hopeful. And I think there's that fine line again between positivity and hopefulness or encouragement or finding that positive way to hang on to that's not what we're talking about here. This is when you feel worse after someone has been supposedly supportive or when you've been trying to lift yourself up in a positive way, but you don't feel better because of it. Well, it is a fine line because we all want to be happy. We all want to feel positive. And yet, like anything, if you stick something in a closet long enough, like let's use a metaphor. Every time you have people coming over, instead of cleaning your house properly, you just take all the, the crap around your house and you stick it in a closet. Eventually, when the ninth or tenth person comes to your house, you're going to open that closet and it's all going to come spilling out. And that's what happens when we take these righteous emotions of sadness and anger and 
of loneliness and isolation, feeling misunderstood, when we shove all those down in the closet of our subconscious, they're going to spill out in other ways. Now, this article also talks about this study done, and I kind of want to dive into this real quick, Denise. In 2008, this lab did a study where researchers took kids and they asked them to locate a simple shape in like a really complicated picture. The happier kids took longer to find the hidden symbol. And they also found less of them. The other kids, the neutral and sadder kids, were faster and found more figures than the happier kids. Now, you're probably thinking, what does that have to do with toxic positivity? Well, this research showed that people who are in a happy state, like a forced, you know, let's look at the big picture, let's be cheerful, they overlook the small details. But when we're in a sad or neutral state, we're more likely to pay attention to small details because we might think something is wrong or not quite right, hence our not-so-happy state. The neutral or sad state, it allows us to really examine precisely what is causing our negative mood emotion. It allows us to identify it, honor it, validate it, hug it, comfort it, and process and assimilate it much more easily. But you know what this study also made me think, Denise? A lot of those cheerful, forced, happy people, I think these are the ones who get so shocked when life hits them hard. You know, like when they wake up and go, I had no idea my spouse was cheating on me for 15 years. Or I had no idea my boss really hated me and was looking for a reason to fire me. I had no idea that all my friends thought X, Y, and Z about me. And those sudden realizations, I think, can be so much more damaging than the introvert, realist, neutral people that, that you and I tend to be who are always looking out for those details. True. Then, then you have to look at if someone is naturally empathic and they've become more aware of looking, of watching the cues, of watching the dynamics, of paying attention, is that another uh, consideration in all of this to see those details that other people might not find? Yes, exactly. We empaths, we see what you're saying when you're not saying it. So when your smile doesn't reach your eyes, we can see that. And that, I don't know, nothing makes me more uncomfortable than an inauthentic person. We had touched on this when we were off air about, uh, about another topic, but this really applies, is when someone doesn't understand your reality that you're in, and they use toxic positivity to make less of what you're actually experiencing because they have no base of knowledge or no compass of knowing even what that could possibly feel like or be like. Well, and in the situation we were talking, no interest or compassion to try and put themselves in those shoes either. Exactly. So frustrating and hurtful. And why, why do you, like, can you put that into words why you think that's so hurtful? Well, because I think as sensitive people or just as kind people, we don't even have to make it about empaths or not. I would, I'm going to use this from, from my own experience. I would never want anyone to feel worse or to feel bad or to, I would try to have empathy and compassion and meet someone where they are. Even if I don't completely understand it, I wouldn't want to throw salt in the wound. Yes, or to diminish what they're feeling and experiencing. Right, because yeah. we don't know. We don't know what 
we can we can have empathy, compassion, understanding. We can be supportive. We can do all of those things without it being fake or less or leaving someone feeling like we're not really there for them. Right. And I think as empaths, we have to be so cognizant of this all the time because we don't ever want to make someone feel that way. I know in, in my life, I have to be really aware of this because, you know, I've been through a lot of challenges in my life. You know, I've had my lovely family of origin I talked about. I've gone through breast cancer. I've nursed my former husband through a tragic brain injury. I mean, I've, I've been kicked down by the universe several times. And sometimes I'll encounter people in my own life who I feel have it so easy. And they'll call me and they'll be like, my husband can't come home for work tonight, which means I have to do bedtime and bath time all by myself. (laughs) And a part of me is like, oh my gosh, if that were my biggest problem, I am like so jealous of you right now. But I have to realize for that friend, that's a big deal to her. And so I can't say... Well, try, you know, taking care of three kids and a brain injured husband and, and two ill parents at the same time while holding down two jobs, lady. I can't do that. I have to say, oh, my gosh, that's so hard. Do you need some help? I can bring over dinner. I can, you know, you have to meet people where they are. And that's not always easy to do. No, but it's important. Definitely is important, but you're spot on. It's not always easy. No. All right, here are some examples of what toxic positivity looks like in real life. Let's say you have a bad day at work and you come home and you call a friend to tell her all about it. And the friend says, well, at least you still have a job. Don't you hate that? Yes, I'm grateful that I still have a job. I'm grateful I have shoes. It reminds me of that that story that's often told about the man who's complaining and he meets a man who you know doesn't have a job and then he meets a man who doesn't have shoes and then he's complaining about that. And he meets a man who doesn't have feet. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Yep. The no feet story. I mean, yep. there's always going to be someone who's worse off than you and better off than you, no matter where you go. But to simply say, at least you still have a job. That is so dismissive. That is not recognizing the pain that your friend is in from this difficult job, the stress of the, the weight of having to go to this place every day. Another example Let's say someone goes through the pain of a miscarriage and the friend says, oh, don't worry, you can try again. I had a friend who went through a really difficult, I mean, is there anything that's not a difficult miscarriage? But she had gone through three IVFs. She had gone through her savings account. They had finally gotten pregnant and then she miscarried. It was devastating. And I remember we were at playgroup and one of one of our friends said, don't worry, you can try again. And then she elbowed her playfully and said, and it'll be fun, right? And I was like, whoa, lady, like, are you the tin man? You know, where's where's your heart? Or let's say you experience a cycle of bad luck where just everything seems to be going wrong. And a friend says, everything happens for a reason. Or it's just a bad day, not a bad life. I mean, you can hear that maybe these people are trying to be helpful, but can't you hear the shallowness in it, the, the, how it just rings hollow? And you know what's an interesting aspect of this is where gratitude comes into this, because I'm a huge, huge believer in the power of gratitude from a place of truth. When you surrender to being grateful, it 
changes your life and I soul soul work with that. I believe it. That's different though, because you can be grateful that you have a job or you can be grateful that you have a roof over your head, or you can be grateful for having your feet and in, in, for the, the uh, example before that's not what we're talking about here. This is, this is totally different. This is when you're not it, it, you, you nailed it beautifully when you said when it's being dismissed of what you're experiencing or what you're feeling, as if what you're going through isn't as much or as deep or as hurtful or as intense as what it might be. Similar to, uh, I had a friend years ago and single mother and I was juggling and really going through some some dark stuff. And the person had no children, so couldn't really understand what my life consisted of and would make these little quips about, oh, it could be worse. Look, you're so lucky. They're healthy. And then, and I didn't need to hear that right then. I was grateful for that. I was aware of that. I prayed every day for that. But this is different. This is when it's almost that your worth or what you're feeling isn't as important. Yes. And again, I know I always compare everything to school, but think about like a physicist professor who's listening to a kindergartner cry that they can't remember how to spell cat. That professor might be like, really? It's C-A-T. But for that kindergartner, it's the biggest struggle and stress in the world. And for us to diminish anyone's pain, if someone looks at a single mom and they're like, oh, you can't go out with us tonight. All right, well, get a babysitter next week. It's so dismissive and it's not understanding and empathizing and it's, it's just hurtful and it makes you feel more alone. Right. And that's, I think, okay, so I journaled about this so much when I was going through breast cancer because the most people said the most ridiculous things to me and yes, I'm sensitive and yes, I can be a pain in the ass, but <laughs> one of the, one of the pet peeves I had was when people would say, what can I do for you? Now, I know that's helpful and that's not toxic positivity, but I've always felt like saying, so wait, I've got to be sad and stressed out and worried and go through all these surgeries and come up with something for you to do for me to make you feel better for helping me? That annoyed me. (laughs) The other thing that annoyed me was when people would say, I'm here for you. Now, again, that might sound really picky and you all listening might be like, damn, she's a hard person to be friends with. Hear me out. What I always try to say to people, I'm here with you. I think there's a really big difference in those two prepositions. I'm here for you is kind of a like one of the one of the emotions I do not like to feel is pitied. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know anyone who enjoys being pitied, but I don't. And, and when people say I'm here for you, it's kind of condescending. It's kind of like they're there, little one. We'll help you out with this. I'll bring over a casserole. Whereas mm. I'm here with you is I've got your hand. I'm going to hold space with you. You can laugh, cry, scream. You can rage. You can say whatever you want. You can feel whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. And I'm going to be here with you. Don't you think think there's a big difference? Oh, or again, am I being picky? No, you're not being picky at all. I think there's a huge difference in that. And, and that's exactly what you're talking about is uh, the subtlety, especially if you're dealing with other sensitive people, 
or or I think another part is some of us, not mentioning any names, may say, maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe it isn't that bad. Maybe I do need to just step up and, and not take it so seriously. And then we're doing it to ourselves. We're almost throwing throwing wood on the fire with what has come at us by discounting what we're actually feeling and thinking. Exactly. I think we all have to remember that, you know, happiness is a fleeting emotion. It's not something we're meant to feel every moment of every day. We have to feel all the feels. And we've got to understand that anger and sadness and loneliness, these are all instructive feelings. They are our shadow trying to talk to us and tell us, hey, something's wrong right now. It's not the end of the world, but something's wrong and we need to address it. And the more we fear those negative emotions, the more they're going to build up within us. Very, very true. So some of the ways that are signs of of personal toxicity, what would some of those be? Well, personal toxic positivity, I think is almost worse than, you know, the, the fair weather friend, because this is where we're not being a good friend to ourselves. So if you are someone who tends to hide or mask your true feelings, you might be being toxic to yourself. If you tell yourself to just get on with it and just stuff your emotions or dismiss them, if you feel guilty for feeling anything but positive and happy and joyful, you might be a toxic, positive person to yourself. If you minimize other people's experiences with feel-good quotes or statements, or if you try to give someone or yourself, especially your advice, yourself advice, instead of just validating what you're really feeling, if you shame yourself or judge others for expressing their emotions, you might have some of this toxic positivity. If you just brush things off that are bothering you and say, it is what it is, You know, my dad used to say, I am what I am. And, you know, he would, he was joking because that's what God calls himself to Moses, right? But it always annoyed the crap out of me because I was, I would say, like, okay, but we're here to grow and evolve and transform. So don't just accept that. And so he would always say, I am what I am. And he'd just shrug and, and, you know, brush off whatever emotion he was feeling. I know people who say it is what it is, and that bothers me just as much too. Yeah, it is what it is, but let's talk about what it is. Let's not just put it in a corner and slap a label on it, you know? Let's talk about it. But a lot of these things that are on this list that we'd be doing to ourselves may have been defense mechanisms or protections that we put in place so that we would feel safe or so that we wouldn't be ridiculed or ostracized or it, it, it's almost what I'm seeing in my mind's eye, it's almost like a, a Wonder Woman shield that we would use to deflect more pain coming at us. And then it becomes a learned behavior and a default position rather than uh, you know, uh, allowing ourselves that so I'm thinking, you know, we've done shows on narcissism, we've done shows on optimism versus pessimism, we've done all these different things. But if you've been programmed from a young age that this is how you can survive, or this is how you can navigate certain people in your life, maybe even just becoming aware of that would be a first step in 
how to break the cycle. I think that's an excellent point. I know being raised by a narcissistic mother, you know, narcissists definitely have their favorites and they're not afraid to let you know. My mom always favored my oldest sister and she would say, she always comes home from school so happy and joyful. Why can't you be more like her? And I'd come home from school and I'd be so sad by the state of the world, by that kid Derek who was always bullied by everyone in my class or by the teacher who had constant snowfall of dandruff and I used to worry about her so much and my <laughs> she just couldn't understand me and she would always tell me to be more like Tara and here's what I've had to learn because I tried I tried to be fake and positive and I'm not calling my sister fake or positive I mean I tried to fake my emotions and be positive and cheerful and joyful all the time it didn't work for me and what I've had to learn is that what protects you as a child can break you as an adult Oh, that's very, very poignant. Which is why I think what you said is so true. Being aware of, okay, stuffing all these emotions down might have been survival back then, but this is now, and I need to unpack all of these emotions. Just pick one of these. Yes. All these examples. It doesn't have to be all of a sudden you're all in and it just even because my personal opinion, this is deep shit. This is not just everyday stuff. If you're at the point where this is how you navigate life or you've had to, or you've had to protect yourself or you continue to, taking one of these and then working with it and then working on to the next. So it might be hiding or masking your true feelings, finding someone you feel safe enough to be vulnerable or safe enough to speak your truth or uh, strong enough to, to not hide and say, that really hurts my feelings. You know, I, I think that's important to, to not feel that we have to hide what we're really thinking, feeling, or being. Well, you know, this is such an interesting point you bring up because this article, which again, I will post on our Facebook page, when it gets to the bottom and it's talking about like, you know, how can you avoid this or help this? One of the things it recommends is finding introverts to befriend. <laughs> I was like, Finally, we're getting our day. <laughs> and it said that introverts tend to be more realistic and more empathic and tend to focus on, uh, I think the article called them bad weather friends, meaning they will be with you through the good weather, the fair weather, and especially the bad weather. And I just thought it was so interesting. I don't think I've ever read an article that said, find introverts to be friends with. No, but it makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, now you were saying this is deep, heavy shit, so I have a question. I would love to hear from our non-Christian listeners, so any Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or atheist, agnostic listeners, Hindu listeners, because a part of me wonders, Denise, if some of this toxic positivity is rooted in the Christian culture. Oh, I think so. Do you? Because I, I feel like so many times when I've sat in church, it's like the message is always we have to be so servitude in our energy and, and meet God on our knees and beg for his approval and be so grateful for the crumbs that are tossed down to us like manna from heaven. And it feels like we're, we're shamed for wanting to ask for more. We're, and it's not like I've never, I've never seen a, a priest, a pastor, a minister stand at a pulpit and say, 
you know, you should feel shamed for praying for yourself. And yet, I've often received that message in the subtext. Have you? Um, yes. And I'm thinking about when I was younger, highly sensitive, practicing Catholic. Uh, and I also like was pretty, I, I like, I took, even took a class in college about Bible as literature. So, you know, the stories of the Bible and all that stuff. And it was such a conflict for me inter- internally because what I sensed and felt and knew to be my own truth was seen as not a good thing in the, in the uh, organized religion, in the church. That's, I think a lot of us have experienced that conflict. I wonder if some of the collective teachings of organized religion is your emotions are not worthy. You're only, we only take positive emotions here. That's, that's your ticket to heaven. And I wonder if we unpack some of that within ourselves, if we'll be able to remove some of this toxic positivity that, that we experience for ourselves. I know every time I have a sad day, an angry day, I know I think, all right, Samantha, you've got to get out your gratitude journal. You haven't written in that in a week. Write down some things you're grateful for. And it's so false. I can't do it in those moments. You know, I'll open up the book and I'll write down like, I'm grateful this day is almost over. I'm grateful there's a pint of peanut butter chocolate ice cream in the freezer, goddammit. You know, like I just <laughs> can't, I can't feel it. And it doesn't feel authentic to me. All the research I've done on shadow work and the ego and all of that heavy stuff has shown me that anger is really a positive force. It's the opposite or I don't know if that's the right word. It's the driving force of passion. So if we lose our anger, we're going to lose our passion. If we lose our sadness, do we lose some of our empathy? I just feel like these negative emotions are important and worthy. Oh, without a doubt. We have to feel them all. That's the the blessing and the curse is we feel them all. And anger can be a beautiful, beautiful stepping off point and catalyst for switching up some of this, these things we're talking about is when you just say, I've had enough and I'm not doing this this way anymore, or I'm not going to treat myself this way anymore. That can be huge. That can be huge. And something I'd like to say just for anyone who might be really resonating with this, one of the things that has always been difficult for me because like I said as a kid we were taught to tamp it all down and be the perfect family and as long as everything appeared beautiful everything would work out and so I had to really learn how to befriend these negative emotions and it wasn't overnight it took a lot of time a lot of reading a lot of practice a lot of trial and error one of my biggest fears Denise was if I tap into these repressed negative emotions will it ever stop mm-hmm Right? Have you ever felt that? Like, if I embrace my anger, am I going to walk around like an angry bitch all the time? Or <laughs> if I unlock my sadness, am I am I just going to have to buy stock in Kleenex? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, you know, I have to do this because if I don't, I'm going to get more health issues. I really think that's behind a lot of the things behind my breast cancer. And so I did. I just embraced my sadness. I embraced my fear. I embraced my anger. And I just want to tell everyone that there will come a time when you put down the Kleenex 
I mean, you'll pick it up again, but it's not like you're going to drown in these emotions if you open up that closet door. But doesn't that also goes with that that second sign that of trying to just get on with it by stuffing or dismissing an emotion? It has to manifest somewhere. It, it, it's going to show up either physically, mentally, or spiritually somewhere in your life if you, or it's going to keep coming back. Yeah, it's like it's like the kid who doesn't get any attention from his or her parents and they just get louder and louder and louder. That's what these repressed emotions do. And so I do think it's crappy to be a toxic positivity friend. I've had many many friends who are like that and I don't like it and I have finally learned that I'd rather have 3 friends than 10 fairweather friends. But I think what's even more detrimental is being toxic positivity for yourself. I agree. Because you have to live with yourself. You can, you can avoid the friends or you can gently step away or you can set boundaries, but you're going to wake up and go to sleep with you. That's right. What do you think is more toxic as an emotion, shame or guilt? Oh, that's a good question. Oh. They're kind of, they're like twins. I would go with shame. Me too. I, I think shame is a deeper root. You've read Brene Brown about the shame and guilt. And what, is, what have you gotten from her, her words on that? Well, she says shame is focus on self. Guilt is focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. So that's why I agree with you that shame is a much more detrimental emotion because Guilt you can try to rectify, you can atone, you can make amends, but shame is identifying your whole being with being bad. Right. And, and she goes on to say that shame is that intensely painful feeling or experience that you're in some way flawed or unworthy of love and belonging, something we've experienced, done, or failed to do that makes us unworthy of connection. And whereas guilt is more adaptive and it's holding on to something we've, we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling psychological discomfort. So, I mean, she, she says, I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. It's more likely to be a source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or cure. But I, I think that that's a huge, huge difference between the two. I do too. Shame is when you walk around feeling as though you're broken. Mm -hmm. You know, my friend texted me this quote the other day. It says, it's not that you're attracting toxic people. Toxic people aren't picky. They go to everyone. You letting them stay is the issue that needs to be worked on. And this makes so much more sense than that you're broken. And that's why you're attracting broken people. Ooh, I thought that was so interesting because often if we're repressing these emotions, we might feel as though we're broken and we might feel as though that's why broken people are attracted to us. And then it's just more shame and more blame being, you know, layered upon layer upon layer on ourselves. And that doesn't help anyone. It goes back to what you and I are always saying on this podcast. It's about setting boundaries, not only with yourself, but with others as well. And I think there is a fine line and it is a tricky balance because you have to you have to allow yourself to wallow in the negative emotions but for me anyway i have to give myself a timeline on it 
I really do. Like, I'm a huge advocate of the pity party. I think pity party, party of one, those are important to throw for yourself. But they have to be like, okay, Thursday night, I am going to get out my pint of ice cream and and my box of tissue and my journal, and I'm just going to feel all these feelings. But Friday morning, brand new day, new emotion, and I'm going to try to start fresh. You know, like give yourself time to wallow in these emotions, but don't let, don't allow it to um, identify and define you. So right. that's where the the balance comes, and that keeps you in control of it, and it, it not in control of you. Another aspect that you might be manifesting these this personal toxic positivity is feeling guilty for for feeling what you feel, and. I think you and I have talked about this a lot of trying to explain or defend or, or even trying to get someone to understand what you're feeling that may not be in their wheelhouse. They might not have any concept of why it's impacting you the way it is, but not to feel bad because you're feeling a certain level of pain or, or unhappiness or fear or whatever that might be. That is so important. And it's a difficult message to get through to us sometimes, isn't it? Oh, I'd say yes. You know what one of my biggest pet peeves is that people say to me all the time? What? Smile. Do you ever oh. like, are you ever like walking through the hallways at work or just walking through the grocery store aisles? And usually it's a guy, no offense to men, but I don't know why men always will say that to me. Put a smile on your face, kid, or cheer up. Or I have RBF. I don't know if you suffer from that. Do you have resting bitch face? <laughs> it's getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I don't smile all the time, but I'm always deep in thought. I really am. It's kind of my curse and my blessing, but I'm always thinking. I'm always thinking about all sorts of stuff. I am never just wandering through the aisles of a grocery store or walking through the corridors of work, just humming a song. I'm always thinking about all sorts of stuff. And so it shows on my face. It doesn't mean I'm sad. It doesn't mean I'm angry. It doesn't mean I need someone to tell me to smile. And how is that helpful? Why do people do that? (laughs) I don't know. What's your biggest toxic positivity pet peeve? Oh my goodness. I see. I'm really not enjoying how much these resonate with me on a personal level. But I, I think you're spot on with that one of people telling you to to smile or feel or lighten up. It's not that big a deal or, you know, any of those things. They're, they're all diminishing. They're all lessening who we are or what we're feeling or what we're thinking and experiencing. Um, you know, the, and, and I really do. I, I am resonating with a lot of these. And I'm thinking in my head is some of them were, as I said earlier, learned behaviors and some are a defense mechanism to out of fear of falling into a similar situation again. So I think if you've been through a lot, which you and I have both been through a lot, very different experiences, but, but deep, deep, hurtful, painful stuff. And that's not like, oh, look at us, we're the victims. It's more we understand this on a core level. And some of the things we may have had to do to pull ourselves out of that could mirror this personal toxic positivity. What, what do you mean it could mirror? What could mirror? It could mirror more like, is it out of necessity 
that we've had to do this to take care of ourselves and break free from a toxic situation. And then it becomes personal toxic positivity to step out of it. Like a survival mechanism? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get that. I totally get that. Again, I think that's why we keep saying it's a balance. Right. Every emotion is fleeting and you can't, you just can't expect to feel happy all this all the time, but you also can't be afraid that you're going to feel sad all the time if you allow yourself to unpack these emotions. Or you'll never feel anything. Right. Right. Like I know for me, anger is a much easier emotion than sadness. Is it for you? Uh, I, I can wallow with the best of them. I mean, I can go into sad mode. At, I can cry easily. I feel things deeply. I, I, that, that's not a problem. I can feel it. But anger, like true anger, scary anger, uh, I think because I grew up with a lot of anger around me, I'm really cautious about that because it's a fine line that you can step over. I don't okay. mean true scary anger. I mean like, I remember every hurtful thing anyone has said to me. I hold on to that stuff and I can recall it at the, you know, snap of a finger. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, and it will make me angry. Like I remember when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, a friend said to me, Oh, well it's stage one. So that's not even really like cancer, is it? Oh my. Yeah. It pissed me off and it hurt me. And that was years ago. I, every time I see her, I remember that phrase. That's not good. And yet I know that that anger is protecting me from the sadness of knowing that I have this friend who is so dismissive. Right. So I don't mean like scary, yelling, screaming anger. I mean that righteous, indignant, you know, um, I'm right, you're wrong anger. That's oh. very much more of a protective feeling for me than, oh, this makes me so sad that you know, you weren't here for me or with me when I was going through this diagnosis. And I think that anger protected me as a kid very, very much. And that's what I'm learning to break. See, I can go into shadow world with that. Like it will drift away and I'll let it go and I'll be like, oh, that was a terrible thing, but now it's not here. It's gone. And it's not in a denial sense. It's more, I'll feel it. I'll experience it. I'll cry. I'll get upset. I'll get angry. And then over time, it dissipates and just blends into shadows. And it doesn't hold me anymore. It doesn't hold you anymore. Wow. See, for me, I'm such a naturally forgiving person. And I don't mean that like, oh, I'm so amazing. Everyone call me Saint Samantha. Mm -hmm. I, just, I just mean, I think as empaths, we're all naturally forgiving because we can easily put ourselves in other people's shoes. So it's very easy to... Like for that, with that friend, I could say, well, gosh, she's never gone through anything really difficult. And she probably was genuinely just trying to cheer me up. And then I'll just forgive it. But in the past, when I've done that, then that friend turns around and does it again and again and again. And it's like that, you know, what is that thing? Shame on, what's that thing? Hurt, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Right. So then well, I'm, I not, feel, I'm not saying I'm not a slow learner and it took me a lot of times <laughs> to get to that point. Not at all. No, I, I'm not saying that either. I just mean, I feel like if I let that stuff go, then I'm, I'm opening myself up to be hurt by that person again. 
Oh, okay. I see that perspective. So that's why it's like a protective emotion for me. That makes sense. And that's why I think it's important to identify what emotions are protecting you. You know, is it anger? Is it shame? Is it guilt? Is it sadness? You know, what anger is comforting you? I mean, what anger, what emotion is comforting you right now? Right. But to feel it and not minimize it. Yeah, exactly. Let it be heard and, and let it work within you to transform you rather than pushing it down. Now, one of the things that all the research on toxic positivity shows is that rather than searching for happiness in your life, in your day, in your relationships, what you should do is search for meaning. And again, just like those two prepositions with and for, I think those two words are so different, happiness and meaning. One is lasting and deep and profound, and the other is bubbly and wonderful but fleeting. And so I think if we all try to find meaning in our day, meaning in our rituals, whether it's prayer or meditation or just cooking a meal for a family or ourselves, if we try to find meaning in our work, even if you have like a very boring job, you do the same thing every day, you can find meaning in that with your relationships with coworkers. Um, I was the cookie lady at work. I always brought cookies to my department and, you know, I loved that. I found so much meaning in in bringing joy and cookies to people on a Friday when they were ragged grading papers and and essays. So wherever you can in your day, in your work, in your home life, find meaning. I think that's going to lead to more of that lasting positive energy. I agree because happiness can be a choice. You can find joy in something if, and and that to me goes hand in hand with, with finding gratitude. Because gratitude often fosters a deeper sense of happiness and peace. I also think that everyone has a barometer within them that they naturally fall to. Oh, very much so. And I think understanding your barometer and embracing that is really important. Like, So I think my barometer tends to be pretty positive and, and happy. I think yours is too. Have you ever been going through a difficult situation and you wake up and you're really happy and then you kind of feel guilty for being happy because this chaos is going on? Um, Sometimes, yes. See, I think that's because I think that's a sign that your barometer is more towards happiness. And so just on the flip side of what we've been talking about, I think it's important as well to not push down happy feelings when you're going through a difficult time. But also not to buy into, if you have a Debbie Downer in your life, to buy into that negativity. Yeah. that's It's all hard stuff. It really, really okay. is. But I do think it's important. Like I was just, I missed the show a couple of weeks ago because my dad, who has Alzheimer's, went missing and it was a big deal. Police were called. He's fine. He's safe now. But it was just a really stressful week. And in the middle of that, I just found myself, I was looking at YouTube videos with my kids on the couch and we were laughing so hard that tears came out of my eyes over these silly makeup tutorials. Anyway, long story. But in the middle of me laughing so hard with my little pumpkins on the couch, I felt guilty. 
I was like, oh, my dad was like lost and alone today. And it's, we don't, we've got to find a whole new system of taking care of him. And here I am laughing. And I don't think that's healthy either. I think we need to allow ourselves to feel joyful, even in those chaotic moments. But that probably saved you in that moment. Oh, for sure. Because I'm, I'm a big believer in every once in a while, just get silly, just act foolish because it can break the spell. Yeah. And sometimes we have to seek that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes we have to, just as I said, you have to carve out time for your pity party. I also think you have to carve out time for your happy party. Right. And if you can amuse yourself <laughs> and find, and like crack yourself up, I think that is one of the biggest gifts we can give ourselves is just it- to find silly joy in something. Yeah. And it's like a toolbox. And I know like those, that silly moment on the couch I had the other night, that's not anything I could have carved out time for. You know, you can't plan those, those random silly fun moments, but you can plan other things. Like anything you do in your life where you lose time, you're just so immersed in the moment and enjoying it that you lose track of time. Put that in your toolbox that you can, you can use when you carve out time for a happy party. And that's why I think it's so true. And those words of wisdom of, you know, know thyself, you've got to understand who you are and and what makes you truly happy. But you have to understand all aspects of yourself and you have to love all aspects of yourself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's not easy stuff. No, but also starting small and taking a baby step in that direction. It doesn't mean because you're, you might be, identify with these signs of personal toxic positivity that you have to continue on that same path for the rest of your time that you're here. You can always switch it out. And it also doesn't mean if you have a friend who really is clicking some of these, these checklists and you're going, Oh my gosh, she is toxic positivity. It doesn't mean you have to abandon that friend. I have a lot of acquaintances who filled this list and I think it's important to know like who who are your friends and what is the relationship. So my closest friends, those are the ones I share everything with. But I have friends who are kind of toxic positivity, but they're still super fun. I love to see them at book club. I love to have a drink with them at the end of a long week. I love to, you know, go out to a concert with them, maybe one day in 2022. <laughs> but you can have friends that that are good for those types of things. But Find who your essential friends are. What's that pennies or quarters? Would you rather have a hundred pennies or four quarters? You know, find who your four quarters are, but it doesn't mean you have to distance yourself from the pennies. It also can be, if we want to go back to our empathic side for a minute, it might be that someone is so, they just don't know how to feel it that deeply or they're at a loss as to what to say. They're not saying it to be, toxic they're saying it because of their own discomfort exactly that's i think that's the biggest takeaway from this show with understanding toxic positivity in our friends thank you for saying that mm-hmm. there's not a vindictiveness in them saying just cheer up it, things could be worse i think you're right they're just uncomfortable in that moment right and right. i know i've had moments like that i've had moments at funerals or hospital beds where i have just said the most inappropriate things like, you know, can I make a dinner? Like, like a meal is going to help in this situation. I mean, I get it. 
And I think we've all been, we've all been on both sides of this. Right. Yes, we have. Doesn't make it easy though, does it? No, it definitely doesn't make it easy. But again, talking about it really is, I think, the best thing. And, and it's why I am such an advocate of being a truth teller. So many people will email me and, and they'll say, thank you for being so honest about your struggles with your mom and dad. And, you know, at first when I would get those emails, Denise, I would, I would feel shameful. I really would. I would feel like, oh, what did I say on the show? Like, why did I say that? What are people thinking? Why am I sharing that? Right. at night and go over and over like what I said and who could have heard that and and I would just go round and round and round and then the emails kept coming in and I was like you know what you're telling the truth and you're helping people I hope and you're sharing your story and I think that's really important tell the truth see that ties all of these in together is if you've been hiding or masking your feelings or you're feeling guilty, or you're feeling vulnerable, that can be a really, really big step to take is to just to say, this is my truth, this is what I believe, and you understand it or you don't. And, and that can cause physical anxiety to put yourself out there at that level. Oh, for sure. It really, really can. And yet, I, I think it's important. I think we have to tell the truth to ourselves. You don't have to tell it to a podcast of <laughs> tons and tons of listeners. <laughs> but as long as you tell the truth to yourself and to your four quarters, you know, your people who will really honor and validate and listen to you, that's, that's the best medicine. That's good therapy. And that's going to help us grow and transform and learn to love all the parts of ourselves and see that we are not broken. We are not perfect, but we are not broken. We are souls that are at school and we are growing and learning and doing our best. If we could learn to treat ourselves with the same empathy and compassion that we treat other people, that would be amazing. Yes. And I think it's, it's a work in progress. I know you and I are working on it and I, I know our listeners are too. And we're all in this together. Yes, we are. And we'll get through it. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week. We hope you guys have enjoyed this. Please feel free to share your views on toxic positivity. You can always email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or Facebook us at Enlightened Empaths. Have a great week, everyone. Be kind to yourselves and tell the truth. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.